All right, it's a new year, so we're going to try some new things. Are you okay with that? Amen. I, I am a person of habit and ritual. I admit that. I like to go home in the evenings and sit down in my chair and get my cover and have a cup of tea or whatever, and I get, I get real comfortable in that situation. But I've also realized through the years that I have to move myself, I have to drive myself to achieve the things that God wants me to achieve. So this year we're going to start the year off by talking about some of those things. I'm going to be preaching, uh, John and I, for the next six weeks out of the book of Joshua. And uh, we're going to give you our notes. So on the screen you'll see a QR code. And if you know how to use those, you can scan that QR code and it should take you directly to the blog site where the notes are. Now, I know that some of you try to keep notes and I've heard stories of people poking the person next door and say, he's moving too fast. What did he say? What, what was that scripture? Now, these notes will not be word for word what I'm going to say today, but it will be a summary of what we're going to talk about today. Somebody asked me, can we download it to our phone? You can, but they will be on the blog, so you can visit the blog anytime that you'd like to. So let's try it. There's a little bit of work and preparation that goes into making this happen. So we're going to be asking you over the next few weeks, is this useful for you? Is this something that you like? Is it something that you can use to benefit you? And if so, we'll continue to do it. We'll put the work in. Uh, and at the same time, if you say, eh, whatever, you know, I'm not ever going to use it or I'm not ever going to go there, then uh, we may go another direction. But let's try it for the next few weeks and see if it works for you. And if it does, fine. This also will give you an opportunity to share with others what God might be saying to us here at our church at Spirit Life. I just happened to notice in, on Facebook today uh, that it was 10 years ago that we met together and we had a church meeting and decided that we were going to change our name from the Outer Loop Church to Spirit Life Church. And so for the last 10 years, we've been known as the Spirit Life Church. We set some goals for child care center and for a school and things of that nature, and we're moving in that direction, and God is opening doors of opportunity for us, and I'm so thankful for what God is doing. When I look at you as your pastor, I see people who have so much potential to be something very significant in the world that you live in, and I believe that God wants us to try to achieve everything that he has called us to do rather than just get by, rather than just get comfortable in our world, but instead say, Lord, whatever it is that you want me to do, however you can use me, then Lord, I want to be available to you. I get that for some of you, this is a brand new journey. Uh, some of you haven't been serving the Lord all that long. You haven't been plugged into a church in a long time, and this is new, but this is the place where we come together to draw strength from one another and to be encouraged by the Word of God. And I hope and I pray that this year will be the year that you decide 
you know, I'm going to give this a significant effort. I'm going to come when the doors are open, be it Sunday morning or Wednesday night Bible study. I'm going to bring my children and get them involved and in that environment. This is a year that we're going to say to God, we're all in. Now, many of you are already there, and you've been there for a long time. But I want to encourage those of you who are, who are just moving in this direction. Just make up your mind that 2024 is going to be the year that I'm going to give God my full effort to serve Him. And as you do that, I believe you're going to be amazed at what God will do in you and for you, but also through you. You can be a difference maker. How many of you believe that? So today we're going to look at Joshua chapter 1, and we're going to talk about leadership lessons from Joshua. And we're going to be talking about what you need to be a leader. Now, some of you are thinking, I'm not a leader. I'm a follower. You know, it's like the old world, worldly saying says, either lead or get out of the way. Have you ever heard that? Well, listen, I've made up my mind that I'm not going to have to get out of the way because I'm going to lead every opportunity that I get. Now, I am blessed to be able to lead a wonderful congregation like this, but I also have a home life where I am the leader. I am the one who sets the agenda, so to speak, in conjunction with my wife, and together we work the plan to bring our family close to God. It's worked for us for many years, and it can work for you as well. Some of you are leaders not only in your home, but you're leaders at work. You have a position of authority and leadership. And uh, whether it's the, the ultimate leader or you're on a team where you're leading those that are under you. But we all can be leaders, and God wants to use us. So I want us to look at Joshua chapter 1. I want you to read with me. Now, this year, I'm going to be using the New American Standard Bible, the 2020 version. And if you have a different version, it's okay. You'll still make it to heaven. There's no problem. But I like to switch it up from time to time. And this year, I'm going to use the NASB 20. And it'll sound a whole lot like what you have in your hand. But here we go, beginning chapter 1, verse 1, it says, it says, Now, it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead, so now arise and cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel." Every place on which the sole of your foot steps, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. And from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, that will be your territory. No one will be able to oppose you all the days of your life, and just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not desert you, nor abandon you. I, I want you to be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. 
Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may achieve success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will achieve success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray together. Lord, we've read your word now. I pray that you will allow me to speak in such a way that the word will come alive in our spirit. We will apply it to our lives and we will experience the success that you have promised that we will have when we obey it. Lord, in Jesus' name we ask, amen and amen. I don't know about you, but I really honestly do want to be everything that God's called me to be. And I know that you feel that way as well. Whatever God has, has gifted you with, whatever your talents are, God wants you to use them for his glory. He wants you to lead others to experience the blessings that you are experiencing as well. And I can tell you from many years of experience that when you see God using you and you see it rubbing off on others and you seeing others get inspired the way that you are, I'm telling you it's the grandest feeling that you will ever experience to know that someone else was blessed and honored because of what you poured into them. So as we move through these series of messages over the next six weeks, we're going to, we're going to understand several different ways that God not only calls us, but how that God gifts us to be everything that we can be. Now today... We start with this idea of leadership because there was a transition taking place in Israel. Moses, the Bible says, had died. Someone had to step into that role. And Joshua had been for many years being prepared by Moses for this moment. It was Joshua's moment when God was saying to him, this is it. Moses is gone there's no one else to fill this role, and so I'm calling you and commanding you to do what needs to be done. And he said, just like I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. Every promise that I made to him is going to be fulfilled through you, but you've got to take the reins now. And so there were a few things that he, he needed to understand about leadership, and the first one is this. He needed to get a clear gra grasp on vision and mission. Joshua chapter 1 verses 2, 3, and 4 says this, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and cross Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel, and every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and the Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, 
And as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, that will be your territory. At the very beginning of this call, God lays out the vision and the mission. He lays out to Joshua, this is what I need you to do. Now, I have learned through the years that one of the reasons that people don't like to lead is because they don't know what to do with that leadership position. I know the church has been guilty, I'm, and I'm not just talking about our church, but church in general. We ask someone if they will teach a Sunday school class or if they will work in children's church, and then we don't train them to do it. And so they are a little bit afraid of doing it because they don't really know what they're doing. But I'm here to tell you that that's the fault of the church, and we've made it a point to try to get people with them so that they can learn how to do what they're being asked to do. So you have to have vision and you have to have mission. Now, this in the family unit is where we often break down because we don't usually sit down with the family and say, okay, for 2024, this is what we're expecting in our household. Here are our goals. Here's what we're going to attempt to accomplish in 2024. Kiddos, we want you to be on board with us. This is what we're expecting to take place. This is what we feel that God is calling us to do. And we're not accustomed to this. We haven't been doing this. It's something that we're going to start doing in obedience to the Word of God. But we all have to be focused on what the vision and the mission is. As an example, have you decided this year that you're going to cut into your schedule at time to sit down with your family and have family devotions? Are you going to read the Word of God together? Are you going to pray together? Now, I know some of you are already getting weirded out because it's like, well, I don't know if I know how to do that. And here's the problem. If we start trying to do an hour every night, you've already failed. But if you start by just praying for your kids and reading one verse as they are leaving out the door to go to school, you have succeeded. You haven't read the entire Bible to them. You didn't do a Bible study, but you taught them that the Word of God is important to us, and it's a priority. So what you decide to do and what you feel like God is calling you to do has to be a team experience. It has to be, this is where we're going. This is what God is doing. This is what God is calling us to do. So vision and mission is a clear vision, and it provides a sense of direction and purpose for leaders and their teams. Secondly, it brings alignment and unity. Did you ever see anybody that got in a huddle and then when the huddle was over, they all went a different direction. We see this on the football uh, gridiron all the time. They come together, they get their head together on the play, and then when the huddle is over and it breaks, they all go a different direction. But they're not moving in a different direction. They're just setting themselves up in the area that has been assigned to them. And when the quarterback says snap the ball, they are moving together even though may, they may be going in different directions. Listen, we don't have to be little mirrors of one another. 
God has called us to do what he's called us to do, but we all bring our gift. Wouldn't it be crazy if the quarterback caught the ball, went back, and threw the ball, and then had to start running down the field to catch the ball that he just threw? It doesn't work that way. Sadly, this year in the NFL, even the receivers aren't catching it very often. But we're not called to do everything on the field. We're called to do what God's called us to do. And so when we are all aware of that, and we are all in alignment and unity, then something beautiful can take place. Ask these singers who, who sing on our, our platform every week. Wouldn't it be crazy if everybody just sang their own song? Wouldn't it be crazy if everybody just said, well, I feel led of the Lord to sing, it's me again, Jesus, you know, or whatever. And somebody else is singing something else. No, they are aligned by their leader. My wife sends out a list just about every Thursday and says, this is what we're singing. Go online and start listening to it. Get it in your head. And then when they come together, they put it all together and kind of smooth over the rough edges because they all want to be in harmony, in unity, in alignment. And so if we're going to have a vision and a mission for our life and for our family and for our church, we have to be in alignment. This last year, I asked you in January of last year, if you would join me in trying to pay off a mortgage that at one time was a million dollars. I was just asking you to do what you felt like that the Lord was leading you to do over the course of the year. Our goal was to raise $24,000 to pay directly to the principal in addition to the normal mortgage payment. Why? Because we need to get rid of this mortgage so that we can take that money and put it into ministry. But do you know what you did? You excelled. You exceeded the $24,000 goal. And the last time I looked, it was a little over $42,000 that has come in in this year. You say, are you going to ask us to do it again this year? Oh, yeah. I'm going to ask you again because we need this mortgage done. But you see, we were able to achieve $42,000 because we were in unity and alignment on the $24,000. And that'll work in your home too. Because when you agree that we're going to do this this year, we're going to set this goal this year, and then everyone gets excited about it and says, let's move in that direction together. So alignment and unity and then inspiration and motivation. That's what I was just talking about. Man, when you start seeing it come together, when you start seeing that the kids enjoy the Bible studies and the Bible stories and they enjoy being prayed over when they leave and, they, and they're getting into coming to church and, and all that kind of thing, when you start seeing it happen, then what happens is, is everyone gets inspired and everyone gets motivated. So we begin with vision and mission. Secondly, after we've achieved that, Joshua understood that he needed courage and confidence. Joshua chapter 1 verses 6 and 7 says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them, 
Only be very strong and very courageous. Be careful to do everything in accordance with the entire law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. And do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. Let me read you a quote that I saw. It says, Confidence plays a significant role in inspiring courage. When individuals possess spirit-inspired confidence in themselves, their abilities, their beliefs, it empowers them to face challenges and to take bold actions. Confidence fuels the inner strength required to overcome fear, doubt, and obstacles, ultimately stirring up courage. So what I'm saying is, is that we have confidence in ourselves, not because we just generated that, but because the Spirit of God within us says, you can do this. I have gifted you to do this. I understand that a couple of weeks ago, three, three, four weeks ago, maybe that some of the young men of the church decided to meet in the gymnasium on a Thursday night and play basketball. Now, there was someone who was obviously not there, and that was me, because I don't play, play basketball anymore, even though I used to. And I asked someone if they had an intention of dunking the basketball, and for those of you who don't know what that means, it means you jump high enough that you can take the basketball and slam it through the rim. I used to be able to do that when I was younger, but at my current age... I fear that a trip to the emergency room would follow directly after my attempt to do that. What I'm saying is, is that it's one thing to have courage. It's another thing altogether to be an idiot. How many of you would agree with that? See, we attempt sometimes to do things that God never asked us to do. We attempt to do things that that we see someone else do and we think, I think I'm going to accept that calling. Don't you love the way that Kaylin decorates our stage? I mean, it doesn't matter what season it is. She always comes up with some plan and, and of course Justin helps her do that and together they are able to put things like this together. By the way, they could use some help taking all this stuff down this week, if you're interested, just call Justin and he'll, he'll, he'll uh, tell you when and where. Kaylin just has that ability to see nothing and then in her mind she can see something beautiful and then make that happen. Aren't you glad that I don't decorate the stage? I, I mean, I, I, somebody applauded back there. Who, who in the world did that? I mean, really, come up here and I'll lay hands on you and pray for you and then... Uh, and we try to do things that we're not called to do. We're not gifted to do. We can't do it. For instance, there are people in the church that they're just, they're, they're just sad, negative people. It, and they're not, it's just the way they are. They probably wouldn't be a good greeter. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you don't want to put them at the front door and have them stick their little pinky out and say, we're glad you're here today. Come on in if you think you can find a seat. It'll be probably a little too warm or a little too cold. The music will be a little too loud or a little too soft. We don't need people like that at the door 
We need people who are bright and cheerful. And when they come in, they can stick their hand out and say, man, we're glad you're here today. Welcome. We want you to feel right at home as we worship Jesus together. And so we learn that the things that God has gifted us with, we can have confidence that if God put it in me, then I have the ability to make that work in my life. Now, there are some of you right now that you're not doing anything in terms of service to the kingdom of God. It's because you never really thought that you were capable of doing it. But if God has called you to it, now is the time. Listen, you'll make some mistakes. Oh, I remember the first church I pastored. One day I found some of my sermon notes from when I was their pastor. It was back in the day you didn't have computers and you had to write your notes by hand and I had all colored of pens. I'd, I'd write black in the, in the comments and then I would write red if it was a scripture. I would write yellow if it was something I really wanted to highlight. And I, and I can remember reading through those and thinking, oh dear Jesus. These were the worst sermons I've ever seen in my life. And I really felt like it was terrible, terrible. I still feel like that at times. I go home and I think, what in the world was that mess? But listen, I've learned through the years that a lot of times when I feel that way, I'll get a text that afternoon or an email or a phone call and say, Pastor, that really helped me today. Thank you for that. I have hope now because of what you shared with me today. So it's not about our feeling inadequate or feeling like a failure. It's about saying, God, I am convinced that you have called me to do this and you have given me the ability to do it. And so by faith, I'm going to give myself to it this year so that you can receive glory through my life. So we have to have confidence and courage. Thirdly, we have to learn to depend on God. Look at verse 9. It says, have I, have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord is with you. Look at your neighbor and say, God's with you. Don't ever doubt that. For the Lord is with you wherever you go. So when you step into service, child, listen to me. You're not going by yourself. You're not going alone. God is going with you. In fact, God got there before you even decided to arrive. And he has put everything in place so that you will succeed. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Isn't that good news? It's been a couple of years ago now that I taught you about the three phases of dependence. And I'm not going to re-preach that message or series of messages, but I want to remind you of what they are. The first one is just plain old dependence. It's when you're a baby and you have to have someone change your diaper for you and stick the bottle in your mouth and help you with everything that you do. You can't do anything unless someone else is helping you. And then you grow up some and you become independent. Aren't you glad that when your teenagers 
become teenagers that you don't have to change their diapers anymore? Can I get an amen from some parents? Aren't you glad that, that there are things that you had to do? You sat at the table and you got the spoon and you put the food in their mouth and then you, you went from the chin up and got it all and put it in there. Aren't you glad that you don't have to do that kind of stuff anymore? Aren't you? Henry came to our house the other day. I've got to tell this. He'll kill me when he gets older. He came to our house and I said, Henry, are you wearing underwear? And he said, no. He said, can't I just wear soft pants and no underwear? I like that better. And I got to thinking, he might be onto something there. Soft pants and no underwear? Listen, aren't you glad that you don't have to do some of the things that you used to do for your kids? That they are now independent in the sense that they like to brush their own teeth. They like to comb their own hair. They like to drive themselves to school or work. They like to do some things because naturally we grow up and we reach a place where we are independent. But then there is another place where we finally get and that's a place of interdependence. Interdependence means that I'm not totally dependent I'm not totally independent, but I am working together with God. I am working together with my family. I don't have to do everything at the house. I don't have to do everything at my job. I don't have to do everything because we're all working together and we are interdependent upon one another. Joshua learned that he had to be interdependent with God. The next thing that he learned is that he had to be obedient. Look at verse 7. Only be very strong and very courageous. Be careful to do everything. Say, do everything. In accordance with the entire law which Moses my servant commanded you. And don't turn from it to the right or to the left. So that you may have success wherever you go. John chapter 14 and verse 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And then in James chapter 1 verse 22, it says, Prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. As I was studying for this message, a question popped up in my mind. And I thought to myself, why do we not like to be obedient? I mean, what is it about anybody telling us what to do that just makes our fur stand up? You know what I'm saying? When someone looks at us and says, do this, it just irritates the life. Or maybe it's just me. Maybe you're very submissive and you just say, Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Okay. I will. I get right on it. I'm not one of those people. Somebody tells me what to do. It's like, why? Why should I have to do that? Or in my mind, I immediately start thinking, there's got to be a better way to do this. 
There's got to be a more efficient way. There's got to be a better way. How can I? God said to Joshua, don't go right, don't go left. If I said it, do it. It's that clear. Why is it that we as Christians know that the end result is that we will be successful and that God will bless us if we will simply do what his word says? And how many of you are like me? Sometimes we say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I Man, I'm going to do it. I am going to make a promise that this is the year. I'm going to do it. And we do it three times. And then it's like we lose all motivation for it. I don't know how many times through the years that I've known people who have said, you know, We've actually thought about this whole tithing thing and giving thing and being generous. We've, this is the year. We're going to do it. And then we write two checks, and then it's like, oh, I really could have used that money. Or, you know, the instant that we make a financial commitment, then our car breaks down. Can I get an amen? Or something happens, and then it's like, well, I, you know, God, maybe next year. Maybe I'll just do it next year. And what we don't understand or we forget is that God said, if you'll do this, then you can test me. You can prove me and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings upon you that you can't even contain. How many of you realize that it's better to be obedient and then let God bear the responsibility for remaining true to his word than it is for us to just assume that somebody got the whole idea about giving wrong. And so I'm going to turn left. I, I'm going to turn right and see if something else will work better. Listen, whatever, or how about forgiving? How about somebody does you wrong and you say, I know I should forgive them. I know the word of God would have me to do that, but boy, honestly, I hate their guts. I, I don't think they deserve being forgiven. I don't really want to be forgiven. I think I, I don't want them to be forgiven. I, I'd rather I'd rather just hate them. It's just easier. It used to be a country western song years ago that said something. I know I should love them. I know I should hate them, but boy, I just hate them. You know, it's just the way that it is. We don't like to be obedient. There's something that kicks against that. Well, here are four things that causes you to not want to be obedient. First is it's just human nature. It's just plain old human nature. It's just the way that we're born. We see it in Genesis chapter 3. And then there's the struggle between flesh and spirit. How many of you know that our flesh always kicks against the Spirit? Always does. Read Romans chapter 7 and Galatians. If you've got your notes, you can see those, um, those verses. Sometimes it's temptation. How many of you know that sometimes we're just tempted to do something different? It's just, I know that this is the right thing to do, but I'm tempted to do something else. And then finally, it's the influence of the world. The world will tell you you are an idiot if you do what Scripture says. The world will say, oh, you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to believe that anymore. 
Well, listen, if it's in the Word of God, believing is mandatory, regardless of what the world tells us. So we have to do that. The next thing then on the list is that being a successful leader means that we have to mentor and disciple other people. Notice Exodus chapter 24, verse 13. Now this is out of the book of Joshua, but it, Joshua is in the story with Moses. And it says this, So Moses arose with Joshua, his servant. That word servant there doesn't mean somebody who goes and gets him a cup of coffee or someone goes and who fixes his breakfast. This word servant here literally means his assistant, his, his mentor, his mentee, if I can say it that way. Joshua stayed close to Moses so that he could learn from him the principles that Moses employed in his life. Then in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, we see the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust these to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. You can see in Scripture others who are mentors and mentees. Moses and Joshua, Eli and Samuel, Jesus and his disciples, Paul and Timothy. They had close relationships with people who could teach them what they needed to know. Let me ask you a question. So this year, who will you mentor? Who have you picked out to disciple? Who is your assignment this year? I've already picked some of you out. You've been marked by this pastor. I'm praying for you. I'm believing God's best for you. I'm believing that you will do better this year than you did last year. Some of you are thinking, I wonder if I'm one. You might be. And let me tell you, we need to be pouring ourselves in to other people. So who have you decided that you're going to mentor this year? Will it be one of your children? Will it be one of your family members? Will it be someone that you work with? Will it be someone that you meet occasionally? You never know. But who are you going to mentor? Second question is this. Who are you going to allow to mentor you? I don't know. I know, I know everything that I need. I've made it this long. And I don't think I need any help. I think I can do it. See, it's really dangerous when we come to the place where we think, I know all there is to know about this. I've been pastoring for so many years now that if I were to be honest about it, if I just wanted to, to be the same and do the same, I could be the same and do the same all the time. Do you know that I still call other pastors? I call pastors who are younger than me who are having success, and I ask them, how can I do that realizing my context and my age? How can I accomplish that? I had just this week, I had a pastor who a few years ago asked me about this Frosty Fest thing. He said, what is that? Tell me what it is. I said, well, 
it's the last Sunday of every year and we get together and we have a time of fellowship. I said, we just, we know that we're going to have people out of town and we know that our crowd will likely be smaller than it usually is. And so we just decide on the last year of or Sunday of every year, we just get together and eat and laugh and have a great time and then we go home. He said, I'm going to try that. But he never did. Because he was afraid that his church would not accept it. I got an email from him this week and he said, this is the year. We're doing Frosty Fest. He said, I hope it goes well. And you know, the bottom line is, is that it will go well. Because he is a called and gifted leader. And when he stands before his congregation and says, this is the reason that we're doing Frosty Fest, can I tell you that almost every year we have visitors come to Frosty Fest? We have family members who have family members here from out of town and they bring them to the meal and they, they have some fried chicken and mashed potatoes and cake and ice cream and all that stuff. And we have the time of our lives. And I told him, I said, I can't imagine a year not having Frosty Fest now because it's just become part of our DNA. But we have to be willing to get ideas from other people and to give ideas to people who need to know what we know. And then finally, and I'll close with this. When we do these things and we really become aware of our leadership potential and what God has called us to do, here's what will happen. God's promises will produce results in our life. And in our context. Look at Joshua chapter 1 and verse 5. This is powerful to me. It says no one. Say no one. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. And I will not fail you. And I will not abandon you. A very familiar passage of scripture that's found in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. How many of you know today that God's on your side? Don't ever let the devil talk you into believing that God is angry with you and at you and that he's just waiting for the right moment to just destroy you that's not God that's the devil he's the one who came to kill, steal and destroy but God sent Jesus so that you can be blessed and so that you can have life abundant. And He wants you to not just obtain that abundant life, but He wants you to be a distributor of abundant life. And if you will allow Him to, He will use you in an amazing way. If you're on Facebook much, you will no doubt know who I'm talking about when I tell you Nick 
Vujicic. Nick was born without any arms and without any legs. He spent his entire life being made fun of and being frustrated with the fact that to do anything, he had to have help. Until one day, God called him to impact the world. He thought, how in the world can I do this? I have no legs. I have no arms. How can I do it? He taught himself how to walk. He taught himself how to be a motivational speaker, anointed by God. And he started a ministry that inspires millions of people. It's called Life Without Limbs. That's the ministry that he started. And to to date, millions of people around the world have come to a relationship with Jesus Christ through the ministry of Nick. Of all people, you'd think, how could he be able to do this? Well, I'll tell you how. It was through the power of God that anointed him. He didn't have to jump. He didn't have to swim. He didn't have to do all the things that we think people have to do. He just simply was obedient to the call of God. And because he was, someone asked him one time, why didn't you pray for God to give you arms and legs and heal you? And he looked at them and he said, do you think for a minute that I didn't ask God to heal me and grow arms and legs? I prayed so many times that I felt guilty about praying for it. Until finally I realized that I am able to do what I'm doing because of the challenges that are in my life. Years ago, there was a man named David Ring. I don't know if you remember David or not. He is an evangelist that has preached around the world. He had cerebral palsy. And no matter where he went, he would always start his message by saying, I have cerebral palsy. What's your excuse? And that's the way he would start. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people have given their lives to Christ through the ministry of David Ring. So what am I saying to you today? I'm saying as we go into this new year, it's time for you to get off your spiritual couch, fold your comforter up, put your coffee cup away. I'm talking in terms of spirituality. It's time for you to say, God, I know that you have something for me to do. I know that you want to use me, and I believe with everything in me that I'll be able to do it. Because it's your power, it's your authority, it's your gifting that is in me. Now I want to do something with you that I felt led to do. You should have gotten a piece of paper when you came in the door this morning.